Hi, my name is Alan, I'm a business designer and welcome to the Beyond Users podcast, where we learn about relevant business concepts to become better designers, who know how to solve not only user challenges, but also achieve business goals. As this is the first episode, I want to give a brief introduction and explain why I have started this podcast. So, first of all, I believe that business is essential part of design. Yes, we always put the users first, but if we forget about the business goals, it's not really a good design. It's not really fully functionable, in my opinion. Also, in the last years, we've seen a big shift. Design is becoming more and more important in the businesses. As some businesses see it as a competitive advantage. Budgets for design teams are increasing. Designers are finally getting a seat at the business table, and so on. So all of that puts a pressure on us to understand more about business and delivering the value not just to the users, but also to our organizations. So lately, many opinion leaders in the design community have expressed their concern that if we as a community do not get better at business, we might actually lose that seat at the table that I mentioned earlier. So this podcast is my attempt in doing something about that issue. So I'll host uh, interviews with business designers design leaders, designers who have become entrepreneurs, and so on, in hope to help us all learn something about business that we can use in our design process. Okay, so in the first episode, I spoke to my former colleague, Trent Huan, who works at IDEO in the Munich office. Trent is a business design director, and his role is connecting the worlds of design and business. So he was basically like the perfect first guest. Uh, specifically, in this episode, we spoke about how we can uh, show the non-designers the value of our designs, why spending some time thinking about business is super valuable in our design process, and how you can start thinking about business side of design, even if you know nothing about it. And I have to apologize in advance for the audio quality. Actually, Trent is apologizing because his slush beard was constantly interfering with his microphone, which created some sound issues. All in all, I hope that you like the content enough that you can stick with it, and I promise that I'll try to make it better in the future, or just look for guests who don't have such a lush beard. So just one more thing before we dive into the conversation with Trent. So if you want to learn more about business, you can also visit beyondusers.com. And you can take a five-day email course that I've put together that I call a mini MBA for designers. It's basically a short email sent to you um, for the next five days. And in these emails, I present five business concepts that are relevant for designers and that I have used a lot in my um, design process. So now, finally, without further ado, here is the episode number one with Trent Huan. So Trent, um, I'd like to start with a bit of your background story because I think you have a very interesting one. So before joining IDEA, I think you've done a bunch of stuff that is unrelated to design. Um, so could you tell us how and what led you to design in the first place? Sure. Um, so I think um, probably coincidence or fate led me to design, actually. Um, so as you can probably hear from my accent, um, I'm originally from Australia and I studied optometry in Sydney um, and I studied optometry to earn enough money to become a rock star. So at the time I was playing bass in a band. Um, we have one song on Spotify as our claim to fame and I was trying to uh, become a rock star. Yeah. And that fell apart. <laughs> um, learned from failure. And then I, I found a, a job in West Africa. So I, I moved to Ghana um, and was sort of setting up optical centers um, in Ghana initially, then a, across West Africa for a couple of years, met my German girlfriend, now the mother of my three children, and decided that after I was in West Africa, I needed to get a bit more business acumen. So I sort of left that part of my life a little bit um, frustrated with how that whole non-government sector was delivering services that it was a lot of services and a lot of good intentions but not really enough sort of business and economic pressure to to make those services become independent and succeed mm -hmm. so i thought okay i'll go and get an mba and become like this business guy and uh, i'll go back to non-government work and then i got sidetracked after the mba um 
and started working as a management consultant um, for a couple of years. And then I was sailing with a, a couple of friends on Lake Constance. Uh, it was in October and it was snowing. It was a ridiculous time to be sailing, um, but it was super <laughs> fortuitous. Um, and then Tim Till was telling me about this job that in uh, he'd been to this place in Munich and it was pretty unusual. And I must also say that Till's a banker. So sort of outside of his bankery world, all these sort of design places are a bit unusual for him. But he said it might be an interesting job for me. And so I applied for that and got it. And that was sort of my first real introduction to design. And when I sort of look back and reflect on all of those things that I've done, it kind of makes sense that I landed here, but I never really had any designs to land here. But if you think about being an optometrist is about, you know, talking to people and listening to people and trying to understand their problems and empathizing with them and trying to find a solution. A solution. And playing in a band is very much about teamwork and collaboration and compromise um, and creativity as well. So those things sort of form very much part of design. Then I was working as an entrepreneur in West Africa and sort of making things work under often difficult sort of conditions and um, you're doing things on the fly. And that's as a business designer, I think there's a lot of sort of an entrepreneurial mindset that you need to take. And for me, mm-hmm. that sort of comes from that West Africa time. Um, then MBA management consulting. So that's where the, the business or the more formal business stuff kind of comes together. And so all those things actually fit really neatly into my role as a, as a, as a business designer. And like I said, there was never any, any design or any direction. <laughs> Maybe you could argue generally in my life, but now being here for the last seven years, it feels like this is indeed the right job for me to, to be doing in the right place to have landed. So uh, it took me uh, maybe a little bit longer than normal, but uh, it feels like this is it's definitely the right place to be. I want to briefly ask you about that transition you made from the NGOs to the to taking an MBA. So what was what was it specifically that made you realize that you should go and get some business education? Like because I, I figure like a lot of people also NGOs and they don't even bother about the business side. They're just okay with how the things are so what was the the thing that specifically was that you weren't happy about yeah um i was just so running running these projects and then and setting up these other projects and in this sort of you know the the, the project outlines or the kpis there wasn't enough um idea about how to make these projects profitable and therefore how could they stand independently of the non-government organization organization that was supporting them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, and I knew that I didn't have all of those answers either. So I thought, okay, um, I need to get a bit more business thinking in me in order to get a bit more business thinking into, into these projects, sort of the way we set them up, um, the way we staff them, the way we measure them, the way we also look at how we're going to get out of them um, at the end mm-hmm. of the day as well. And so I thought, I need to get a little bit more business understanding. MBA is probably the best place to do that. And that's that's how I got there. And so there is an interesting sort of corollary, I guess, with how I, I see design as well, that maybe design doesn't always um, have enough emphasis on on the business side of things. I guess that's what your, um, your venture is sort of about exploring as well. But I would yeah. agree with that, that sort of thesis that um, design, while well, being yes human centric and and customer centric user centric whatever doesn't always um play enough or pay enough attention to the to the business part of the the Venn diagram so that for me has also been another i guess a continuing theme from that time in West Africa to the MBA and then and then the work that that we do here and making sure that the teams are thinking more about the the business side of their um of their solutions as well as the as well as the human one so you know, there is a lot of hype about design thinking right now in the business circles. Um, but the opposite process, like you said, like designers, designers learning about business is still not that widely adopted. Um, but you hinted a little bit about why is it important for designers to think about the business. So before we dive deeper into more specific topics, let's just get this thing straight. So maybe for someone listening who is still not convinced about the role of business in design, why would you say that it's relevant to think about business in the context of design? Um, so I can only talk about design in the context of audio and, and human-centric design, right? I, I don't have any other real um, experience with with design in other 
sort of forms of design. And so I think that's an important caveat because maybe it's not always um, a total necessity. But when I think about IDEO and I think about um, human-centered design and we talk about those the three Venn diagrams of desirability, viability, and feasibility, like simply mm-hmm. that, that classic framework that we try and use to describe what we do, they're not independent of one another. Um, they're not they're not in, in, in series, they happen in parallel. And for me, that just means that we definitely are all about desirability in the users, but that whole idea of <clears throat> um, viability is just another natural part of human-centered design or design thinking. And so I think we, it's not that we forget it, and it's not that it's the primary thing either, but it just needs to be another part of it. It's like our technology muscles here at Audio. we sort of, evolving them as well so having more um more software guys around having more um data scientists around that's just a natural evolution of understanding the technology and how the technology enables desirability and so by the same rationale having more business thinking and having more business design around and that allows us just to simply do better design um and it's like i said i i probably said it about five times now i don't want to it's like we are user centric. That's where mm. this stuff begins. And we, we try and understand what's that product and what's that um, need of the user. But then very quickly, we start asking ourselves, what's the business goals here that we're also trying to achieve? And, and those business goals might not always be financial goals. I mean, I think the financial element and profitability is obviously super important so that um, we're having enough cash so that we can reinvest it and, and do the next thing. And we can also pay our employees and do whatever else we, we need to do as a business. Um, but that stuff is just, yeah, it, it's just the, you know, the value that we, we deliver businesses and that value is not always financial value, right? Like mm. there will be other, other benefits as well that we'll be providing like, finding new talent, um, like building into paying into brand equity, um, like building the organizational capabilities to um, to do innovation in this customer-centric way. So there's lots of other sort of values that, that come from doing design and working in a design thinking kind of way. And I think that's where we need to be thinking about like the, the business side of things is, yes, dollars, but a little bit beyond that as well. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned a couple of times that you, being user-centered it is kind of the first thing and business coming after that. So let's briefly talk about your transformation into a designer as well. So like you said, you don't have a traditional design training. Actually, you have a business one. So you basically had to become a designer after you started working at IDEO and basically learn it on the spot. How was that experience for you? Um, <laughs> interesting, fun, sad. <laughs> It was, but it was, it was awesome, right? Like I, like I said, I, I hadn't realized that when I started sort of working here, but I've actually always been a designer. I just haven't sort of had that title um, or considered Mm. myself one. But again, looking at that history of things that I've done, this just feels like the right place for me to be. But really like understanding how we do design here, that is, it does take a lot of time and Mm. it did take me, um, or it did take the investment of IDEO and the investment of my colleagues to be patient with me um, and sort of train me on the job, essentially. Um, but it's a it's a it's a steep learning curve. I mean, design isn't a, a linear process, and it's a it's a long and winding road. Um, thanks very much, Beatles. And so it it takes time to sort of be comfortable with that long and winding road, and to be you know open to exploring things and to trying new things out on a project. And I think while that's easy to say it's not always easy to do and so it just takes time to to have the confidence and have some great designers around you from which to learn um in order to feel that you can also you know significantly contribute to the to the problems and or problem solving and the, and the solutions that we're trying to get to i remember like myself in in your shoes when i started as well and in the beginning i felt like Ah, this design thing is easy. It's just a five-step process. I'm just going to learn this. No, I actually know it already. So I just can use it. Um, and I felt like it's easier for me to learn design than it is for designers to learn business. But actually having gone through the whole process now, I think it's the other way around. <laughs> I'm not cool. I, I don't know. I mean, I, it, they're just, they're very different things. 
I don't want to say they're very different things. That's not true. But I mean, it's sort of like for a, a non-designer um, to to look at design. I mean, you can be – I always like the, the, the music analogy from my background. So like when I started playing bass, I was a bass player. I wasn't a very good one. It took me a number of years until I was reasonable. It took me decades until I was good. Um, and I think it's the same sort of thing with design and maybe it's the same thing with business and sort of this idea of moving from, you know, competency to, to mastery. Yeah. Um, there are big sort of degrees on the design side as well as on the business side. I mean, I don't expect that you leave your MBA course and be, the, you know, master of the uh, business world. And, and the same logic is true for, you know, leaving your design uh, school and being a, a master designer. I mean, those sort of crafts, business-like design just take time to learn. Um, I think the question really is more around how much business does a designer need to learn um, mm-hmm. in order to be a, a more rounded designer. Um, that for me is the – that's the question. I guess that's also what you're trying to get to and I guess my answer to that question is mm-hmm. not as much as an MBA. Um, mm-hmm. I think part of the – the idea of business and design, and, and I think what I try and do here with the with the teams is just we don't have to be – business can be complicated. I, I get that. Um, but I don't think the business that, that we do should be complicated. Um, I think design, a lot of it is around trying to, to tell a story and to sort of tie that red thread from users into the product, into the, the value proposition, into the revenue model, into the cost structure, into the organizational elements – and so I think we're trying to, you know, talk and present this vision to our clients and it's the same logic that needs to happen um, at a business level as well. Like we need to basically be cognizant enough of the business elements of a solution um, in order to describe them. But I don't think we necessarily need to always solve them. I mean, it depends on where you sort of work on that innovation chain. Where we tend to operate is at the very front end. So, we're more trying to understand what's that solution and then have a few hypotheses about the business model and the maybe the business case um, and then hopefully have a couple of suggestions about how to go about proving or disproving those hypotheses. Um, and as a idea evolves, then that's those hypotheses are going to be proven and disproven and I'll get more confidence and more robustness and more depth around a business case. But when we're at the very front end of that innovation journey, we don't need to be super mega detailed about um, the business side of things. We need to be robust. We need to be smart. We need to be, you know, have enough input from our clients and make sure that they, they're on board with what we're talking about and get their feedback. But I don't think we need to be doing, you know, super mega detailed modeling because there's still lots of unknowns about the solution. And so I think um, we want to be cognizant of business, but we don't want to necessarily um, pretend that we have all of the answers about the business either. And I think if you take that kind of approach into doing the business side of the design, well, then it doesn't have to be rocket science either. It doesn't have to be like super mega complicated business cases. It just needs to be um, logical and well thought through and, and, and well structured, but it can be that um, without having to spend weeks and months on a, on a business case. I think that's what's so liberating about uh, learning about business as a designer is that you don't need to be the master, right? You just need to show the willingness and you need to put your business hat on for some time and ask the people who know something about business in a way that you can translate it to your project. And um, when you think about it this way, it's not about knowing so much about business. It's about having the willingness to actually think about it. Um, so, um, and, and for the part about where IDEO plays in the projects is like, if you are a designer working in a company that is maybe further down the innovation line and you already have uh, specific metrics and specific goals that you need to hit, you probably have heard them like in your project room and you can just rely on that. And you can always talk to the product managers inside uh, the company, right? So there's always a client or someone like a PM or um, mm-hmm. whoever, like in the company who who you can go and talk to. And I think it's important to be, to be talking to those people, right? Mm-hmm. Because then that's how you get to have your the, you know, the user needs and the solution that's delivering on those needs integrated into the business. So then that transition from, you know, that front end of innovation into more of the um, the making or the more maybe it's a bit early but like the scaling end of innovation mm-hmm. um, is, is hopefully a lot smoother because you're super more aware about where it's going to live in the organization and how it's going to live and how it's going to deliver value for the organization. 
Um, yeah. I think a lot of listeners may be asking what the hell business design is. Uh, so let's briefly talk about it. So could you explain what business design is and like give your definition and explanation? What is it that you actually do at IDEO? Yeah. Um, it took me a while to answer that question as well for myself. Um, I think business design is sort of taking a designer's mindset and a designer's view of the world and a designer's curiosity and taking that sort of approach and asking questions about the business um, side of an idea, of a, of a concept. Um so that's why I say, like, I consider myself very much a designer. It's just that the lens with which I look at design is a business one. Like, my colleagues will look at it from a, a software perspective or an interaction design perspective or a hardware or engineering, whatever. Um, my design lens is the business one. Um, and so then I'm thinking about the users and, and you know, the first part of a project, we're thinking about, well, what are the what have we heard from users? What do we think that means from a, a value proposition or a solution perspective? And then when we all start then to, once we've all sort of aligned on what opportunities might be or what a value proposition might be, then we all start to almost put our different lenses on the problem. And then we're then while a colleague is thinking about, well, how's the experience going to be? How are people going to interact with this thing? Another colleague is thinking about what is the brand and what is the, what is the, the storytelling element of, of this new idea? Um, I'm thinking more about where are the business benefits for the client? Um, and one of those business benefits is, is dollars, but some of those other business benefits might be significantly different. Um, I think a lot more work we do these days is a bit more like what's a digital platform that enables me to do a number of different things in the future, which again, makes the dollar value of the solution difficult. Um, but it also then requires you to sort of start looking more at, well, what are the rest of the benefits that this thing will deliver? What parts of what other parts of the business will this, will this platform enable? Um, so it just is a, um, it's, in, but it's still sort of taking a a business managerial kind of mindset to the problem. I think um, you asked before about the definition of it. I think um, it's it's a little bit around giving designers a little bit more focus. Like design is always about options and mm-hmm. exploration and curiosity and finding things that are new. Um, and then with that business lens on it, we can start to maybe focus a little bit or make some better decisions about what to focus on and what to also leave behind. So I think from that perspective, um, the business side of design is, is a little bit around helping us to, to focus on things that we think have a little bit more business value for, for, for the client. Um, and there's lots of sort of, you know, the, the tools like the business model frameworks or um, some ecosystem tiles. There's a number of good value proposition canvas, whatever. There's a number of good online tools and they're not always useful for all situations, but you can usually find um, enough sort of tools to help you get started and help you thinking about it. Um, and I think it's also a matter of, you know, finding the right sort of tools that that work for you um, or for the right stage of a project. So a good example, I've been having some guys um, at the start of a project recently thinking a little bit more around the market and the competition. And we've got a subscription to a, um, a, a crowdsourcing innovation um, platform called Springwise. Mm. And so even just looking through Springwise for an hour, it's amazing sort of what inspiring and interesting new startups are around in, in the, the space where we're working in this case, um, medical and medical devices. Um and so even that just as a start of a start of a project as a way of inspiring the design, even inspiring the questions that you're going to ask users is just by having a look outside of um, the current project and the and and having a look into the market a little bit more. I think that is a as a first starting point is a good one from a from a design perspective, just to sort of do a little bit of desktop research and understand what's going on. Um, I mean, I think our clients can normally also deliver a lot of information on that front. I think our clients probably do maybe too much of that and we probably don't do enough of that. So there's a middle ground there. But it feels like that as a starting point on a project to think, um, you know, what's the role of business design initially? It's to think a little bit outside of um, maybe the current question and look a little bit more at the market and the competition and 
you know, the performance of your client, the strategic goals of your client, the bigger picture, if you will, um, and how those things might sort of feed into, you know, the questions that you're asking, who you're talking to in research. And then I guess as a project evolves, then so to do the the things that we might start doing. So middle of the project where we start to get a little bit more concrete on ideas and solutions, then we can get a little bit more concrete on, well, what's what do we think actually the the business potential is here, either from a dollar perspective or or what other sort of um, value do we think we can deliver the client? What other partnerships do we see as being necessary to to deliver on that thing? Um, then in our process, then we'd start to make things a bit more tangible and, and prototype um, different solutions. And then in parallel to that, I would start to then be asking myself, well, what are those, where do we think revenue might come from? What are those bigger you know, technology buckets or people buckets, organizational buckets that we need to deliver that value proposition and earn that revenue. What's the cost of of those? Um, what's the actual dollar cost mm-hmm. of some of those buckets? Um, and then start to pack that together in in some sort of story that outlines and, and hopefully inspires people that why this is a good idea because these are the user needs we heard. This is how the product delivers on those needs. This is then the the business story and hopefully then this is also the the organizational story. So um, I think the idea of what business design is evolves over the course of a project um, but hopefully it's always contributing something to a project. So even I used that Springwise example before, even just having a little session with the rest of the team about, hey, this is some interesting things that are happening out in the world um, is, a, is a pretty interesting, pretty low effort um, starting point from a business design perspective to bring more business thinking into a, into a design project. Mm-hmm. And I think this example is super interesting because it gives listeners – a glimpse into how we do things because a lot of times when I talk to friends and I try to explain what it is, it's like in general, it makes sense. But then before giving or without giving any examples of what we do and what are the tools that they can use, they're kind of left with that. Um, they don't know what to do exactly. So I wanted to ask you, so this was a great example of looking at a competition on Springwise and just doing some Google research. What are some other tools that you use in the projects? Um, that maybe listeners can also use in um, in their work. Yeah. Um, so for me, one of the things about business design is um, you know, we might have this shiny new vision and, and value proposition, but I think before we can really start to say um, what's the what's the business model look like, it's important to understand how this new vision or this new value proposition is going to work. At least just from a hypothetical perspective. So. Um, some of the guys in the Shanghai office developed um, a bunch of ecosystem mm. tiles and it basically looks at um, uh, different actors in the system and different flows of things in a system like money, like data, like goodwill, like uh, knowledge and experience and whatever. And it's interesting when you sort of use that as a way of – it's almost like a um, – a bit more of a, a two-dimensional customer journey about how a, a user would interact with the service. Um, where does logistics come into play? Where does, um, I don't know, fulfillment come into play? Where does revenue come into play? Where does data and database and different maybe uh, consoles that different stakeholders are going to actually need, we might have to build. So you really start unpicking the complexity of um of a concept and then you can start to put some have a better conversation about how much is it going to cost to deliver this concept um so the ecosystem tiles i think is a really good exercise and a fun one to do um in order just to see what what do i need to do to make this thing work um and it's a little bit more um uh let's say it's it's sort of like business model canvas, which I guess most of us have heard of um, on steroids. It just sort of looks a little bit more at the relationships, I guess, between all of those sort of things. But I actually find it's a it's a good exercise to do between sort of, okay, I've got this vision, this value proposition, fine, let's do this exercise and try and understand what it is. Then we can maybe write those things up in a more structured way in a, in a business model canvas um, before we start moving into understanding, okay, well, how much is it going to cost to build me platform X or interface Y? Um, what else? There's another couple of the 
guys it's called Boards of Innovation. Um, and they've got some really interesting online tools about different revenue models and things like that. And I, and I think that's a good way of brainstorming rather than saying, oh, yes, I'm going to sell this product or, yes, it's going to be a subscription service. Like what are other ways of monetizing? So actually looking for different types of revenue models. There's plenty of online lists mm. um, about that, but using that in a, in a generative brainstormy kind of way and sort of saying, could we turn this into, I don't know, some sort of insurance model? Um, does this work from an advertising perspective? Is there someone else willing to pay us for our data? I don't know. Um, but even just using that as a way of prompting different things, and the answer to all of those things might be no. It might be, actually, no, we want to have a subscription service or I just want to sell it one-to-one. That still might be the right um the right way to monetize it, but it starts to give you, I guess, a little bit more confidence um, that you've had to think about a few more things. And I think um, just looking for, you know, different revenue prompts is a is a reasonable way to start thinking a little bit more around, um, yeah, around around revenue and, and, and how you might um, do that differently. Yeah, talking about the ecosystem tasks, I'm also a big fan of them because I think it's so nice for the whole team if you can put... Maybe yeah. sometimes you don't even need to t- think about what it could be like, but just about what it looks like right now. And when you yeah. lay out all different stakeholders and all the flows, you can see that some of the things could be done in a different way because of the new technology, yeah. new mm-hmm. way of thinking. And just by doing this, I think the whole team gets a little bit more perspective on the whole uh, business ecosystem, right? Yeah. I mean, it does. They, they do get a little bit complicated because like you just said, like, is it for now like mvp release or is it the vision that we're Mm. sort of aiming for and so there's sort of like these different states that it could be in so it's important to sort of define that before you start otherwise you definitely get confused um the other challenge i think about them is how you communicate them um like it's good for the team to sort of align around it but it's hard to um take it and pack it up in a way that's actually um easily communicable so i think it doesn't but again, that's sort of the, the the idea that there are many different tools, and sometimes this is the right one and not. So it has its its shortcomings, but um, I think generally, exactly like you point out, to say, well, what does this thing entail? How could we potentially do it differently? Um, for that perspective, it's a very interesting, um, a very interesting tool mm-hmm. set. So speaking about the communication, that's a very nice segue into the next topic I wanted to ask you about. It is so basically as a business designer, like your role is almost sometimes to translate the design work into something that a client, so non-designers can understand. So I wanted to ask you about your experience with um, business clients, right? What do they usually struggle with the most to understand? um, And maybe also vice versa, what do we most struggle to understand about them? And how can we um, bridge that gap? Um. It's not so much the the struggling to understand. I think it's more like the struggling to to get there. Um, just because that you know, if people are unfamiliar with with design or how it works, and like I said before, I mean, it's not a linear process. It's kind of exploratory and um, circuitous. It's sort of difficult to sort of imagine over this course of this project what that end solution is going to be. And so, I think it's important to, particularly with the clients you're working with and the that core team is to have them as involved as possible um a so that they can sort of see how it's done but also when it comes to getting at the end of the project and hopefully then getting buy-in from the broader organization that they almost become advocates um Mm -hmm. for the idea because they've been out and listened to customers and, and heard firsthand about um their challenges and have picked up those anecdotes in storytelling so one of my favorite projects involves um meeting a, a pig farmer um, in, in northern Vietnam. So it was a project about um, mobile banking and, and how, how, can, um, how could this bank start delivering mobile banking solutions to small and medium enterprises. And so we went out and spoke to small and medium enterprises. Um, and this pig farmer in the north of Vietnam issues a beautiful example of a small and medium enterprise. And so while she just became this great placeholder of storytelling of the customer, you know, the embodiment of the customers and the personas that we wanted to serve. Um, and so I think having the the client team sort of involved in the research like that and, and understanding why those stories are really powerful and, and really important from a storytelling perspective, then they can start 
telling the story to their to their you know internal clients about why it's important, but also imagine what sort of solutions does um, the pig farmer lady in, in northern Vietnam actually need, and then start designing things. Once we've sort of walked away from or stepped back from a project, um, what does that um, solution kind of need with that that sort of idea of designing for that lady in mind? Um, so that was that's a bit more on the client side of things. And I guess the other part of that is uh, it depends on what is being uh, or, or what stage of, of innovation you're actually involved mm-hmm. in. So a lot of times I think our clients using the same metrics to compare um, different projects. So they'll, the metrics that they use to compare incremental innovation to their existing business, they'll use that same set of metrics to compare more revolutionary innovation that would be more transformative for the business. And that's not fair. <laughs> and and so those whole sort of like IRR or those very financial metrics that are fully valid for incremental innovation, they might be the wrong set of metrics to judge more revolutionary innovation. Um, so I think it's also then saying that's a bit more of the, the roadmap um, at the end of a, of a project that we, we might be involved in, or let's say the end of a first phase, what's that roadmap for evolution look like? What does the you know, associated investment look like along that roadmap? Um, and what are the KPIs that we're going to be using to judging success? Because as soon as we start putting the, the dollar metric on, and like I said earlier, like I'm all for that. That should eventually be there. Um, but as soon as we put that dollar metric on at the start of a project and start comparing that to the other other projects that are more incremental in nature we're not it's not fair it's not a fair comparison Mm. because it's not apples to apples and so i think it's important that we start articulating this is the idea this is the business model this is the roadmap to scaling and getting that thing out into the world and getting people using it and making money on it and these are sort of the the kpis that we should be using along the way to judge are we still moving in the right direction Mm -hmm. um so that's sort of how I w- would have loved to see our clients, I guess, reacting a little bit more to the things that we do. So basically, one thing we can do is include the clients into our process, right? And the yep. second one would be then basically using the language and setting the metrics or setting the expectations about the project in a way that um, they're not going to get shut down too soon, right? So basically, to, to create the right expectations about it. Yeah, and that's something that we've been doing like a lot more of is sort of it's hard to do, but sort of imagining what are the different stages of a project. So moving from discovery into more building, into more scaling and being really clear with the client before we've begun anything, like what do we imagine this project is about? So on that sort of road to a beautiful um, revenue model in the future, what are those different phases that we're going to need to go through? Um, and I think that's also part of that, um, I don't know, expectation management on the client side to sort of go, oh, I'm not going to have all of the answers at the end of this project, but, um, oh, I see what the next project will be about and I see what partners I might need to be, might, might need to involve or what other teams I might need to involve on our side so that we're sort of looking a bit more... Um, intentionally about the road that this eventual product will need to get to market and making sure that our clients are fully aware of that um, up front of the project. So I guess the the other one to add is then a bit of um, (laughs) expectation management or outlook management about where we will be at the end of this one and what else we imagine will need to happen afterwards in order to get something into the market. Just going back to the metrics for, for a moment, could you give some examples of the metrics that you can use for the more revolutionary type of work um (laughs) i guess yeah yeah of course i can here's 12 no i mean i think it's um it's not quite like that i mean i'm sure again if i look on the interwebs there'll be like killer kpis for every startup solution or whatever um i don't know if there is a, a hard and fast answer to it um and so i i i don't know but even that um, is i don't have it right so it's not something that you can that's a discussion we had at almost every project where a team would come to us and like, Hey, come on with some metrics. And like, it's not that easy. <laughs> it really depends. Well, right? It can be easy. Um, it just needs to be, what's the right one. It just needs to be a little bit around like, okay, well, what does that roadmap look like? What are you hoping to achieve in every sort of evolution of this product as it, as it goes towards um, becoming 
world dominating um, and what are the right things to measure on that? So is it engagement? Is it increasing people's time on the platform? Is it, um, I don't know, is it getting um, referrals? Um, is it is it is it really making money? Maybe that's the whole thing that we can sell it from the outset. Like maybe revenue is the first right metric. I, I don't know. Um, but there's there's lots of good um, there's lots of good online tools to sort of Google for that sort of stuff, and then hopefully mm-hmm. you can build up a set list. Like I said before, with these different types of how might we make money? What are different ways of making revenue? There's just a whole bag of different KPIs, and so with those with a big bag of them, you might just be able to go through and say, oh yes, I think it is net promoter score and revenue after 12 months and X thousand users. Um, maybe it's something completely different. Maybe it's um, talent acquisition and brand equity as measured by XYZ. Um, who knows? Mm-hmm. And especially if the project, the main benefit of the project is not revenue, then this probably should not going to work on that level. But this brings me to a discussion we had last time and if i remember correctly you said that there are like five buckets of things that you look at so when you're developing sometimes you're not developing the revenue case but like a benefit case right and Mm. are there like five categories of things you're looking for um i don't know let's try and do it again (laughs) um i think there's there's clearly benefits cases clearly there's revenue right like like i said revenue is fundamentally important for keeping the the wheels in motion. So that should always be part of it. And even if it's not revenue in the short term, it's like what other products and services am I enabling to get to revenue over a slightly longer term? Um, So revenue should always, okay, that's placative, but revenue is probably likely more than likely always going to be somewhere and probably should be. Um, it's just that it's not the only thing. I think there's also this idea of what other benefits you delivering the business, like um, talent, like brand equity, like organizational development and knowing what to do, like cultural benefits of um, being able to demonstrate um, that working in a customer-centric way is, is good. Um, it just depends on what is – What's the bits of the organization that, that you, who you're working with? What are their goals and motivations? And how do you think the product or that solution pays into um, the bigger strategy, right? Because, yes, revenue is part of the bigger strategy, but there's typically a lot of other things as well. So talking about talent, like that's a huge thing that a lot of companies are struggling with. Um, and so how does our solution make us more attractive to talent or what new talent do I need to actually have to pull this solution off or why might talent come to us because this solution is actually super interesting um, and a really interesting challenge. Um, I think a lot of our clients are like, oh, we're a pretty conservative business and so we're not going to be able to get um, get the people that you're talking about here. And I'm like, actually, no, it's sort of positioning yourself and then telling the story from a HR perspective almost in this scenario of why this um, why this new idea is awesome, why bringing on people and will be actually really motivating and interesting for those people to actually come and work for you. I think our clients probably need to have more confidence in why their businesses are actually awesome and why the new sort of projects and opportunities that are popping up for them, um, typically in a digital and, and data space, are actually a fascinating challenge to have new hires and new people join them. Um, so it's, I think, yeah, the words are the right ones, the business or the benefits case. Um, but what are all those different buckets in there? I guess that all also just um, just depends on um, who your stakeholders are and, and what um, – what are their motivations and how do you sort of try and align your solution and your story about the solution with what the, what those stakeholders are actually interested in? Like if I'm talking to the CFO, I kind of need to be a little bit more militant about the revenue um, and that's okay. I'll still remind the CFO that all these other things are really important, but obviously the CFO, generally speaking, is more needs to be more focused on making sure that money is still coming in and we're, we're paying we can pay our bills off so then that story for the cfo needs to be a little bit more twisted in that direction so we will often have um uh, a whole lot of different benefit points but we will play them up and play them down depending on who the audience is right if i'm talking to the client team then it's often about the nuts and bolts of the solution if i'm talking to the ceo it's the bigger vision and it's sort of where it goes and and how does it pay into the bigger strategy of the organization um so a lot of it is sort of you know is audience dependent Mm -hmm. on what 
parts of that benefits case, I will dial up and dial down. That's a very good point, right? You need to tailor your message to your audience. And this brings me to another topic, which is how do you communicate business design? So for someone who has never even thought about or who has never done this, right? So how do you approach this from even like, do you put it in the beginning of the presentation to, do you make slides or do you just um, verbally um, present this? Like, how do you go about this whole process of making the case to um, non-designers or to your clients or to your coworkers why you need to do this thing this way or not? Um, it's a difficult question because um, it depends on the audience. Um, I think a lot of it is um, trying to make sure that it's inspirational and it's something that people actually want to aspire to invest in, so to say. Um, it sounds a bit <laughs> sounds a bit motivational speaker, um, but I think that's actually an important part of it is like having um, yourself and, and the client team being passionate and, and interested in, in the topic. Um, I think that's an important starting point. Um, when it comes to the benefits case, then we've typically just got a bunch of slides in there that, that outline those sort of things. If we need to communicate numbers, then I try and work with a communication designer um, and make those numbers um, not just presenting um, different scenarios, but actually taking that to a next sort of visual communication level in, in how do I make these these revenue numbers and this this business case actually look um, look designed from a, a visual perspective, and that's that just takes time um, and takes an experienced sort of communication designer who's pretty understands the the business side, understands the concept, hopefully understands the client, and then is able to. Um, I'm able to work with that person to sort of tie these things up a little bit more. Um, there's a couple of sort of great internal examples of you know different projects that that has done over the years that just do a beautiful job of um, taking the dry Excel and turning it into very interesting, beautiful um, communication of numbers for for a final presentation. And usually um, that means and that's what I always try and get to. I just don't always have the time or always have like my yeah. the rest of the team is sort of focused on other stuff. And then sometimes it is a fairly dry, oh, here's a couple of scenarios that I've just done um through through graphs in keynote. But I if I have the time um and I have the rest of the team has a little bit of time, then I would try and take it to the next level of you know visual storytelling around the numbers. And usually um just for clarification usually this means narrowing down what you say a lot right so from this whole excel that has god knows how many numbers you come to the main message to the main uh, number and you communicate that one right so it's about leaving a lot of the details out and telling a story about yeah i mean of course you have the whole rationale how you got there but you don't need to communicate the whole thing because it's just going to get into the wrong details. Yeah. And I think it sets up the wrong conversation, but again, it, it depends where you are in that innovation yeah. sort of chain, right? If I'm further down, then maybe it's totally appropriate yeah. to dig into all of the assumptions that I've made um, yeah. in the business case and talk about them. Um, but if I'm at an earlier stage, then um, I might just be talking about a total addressable market. Mm -hmm. I might not know enough about how much it's going to cost to deliver that service. Um, so, I might only be able to sort of talk about total addressable markets and then use some examples about if I got 15% share and I assume 15% because this happens in this other industry, blah, or we do this in another business unit. Um, it's a little bit more of um, making some assumptions, but also having a, hopefully having a good rationale for the assumptions that you have made. Um, that's typically what I find in, in those business cases, at least mine, are, they're not all that complicated because there are sort of like the bigger drivers of what makes it work and what doesn't make it work. And if you can identify those bigger drivers, then you can say, I assume 10% here um, or I assume 1% here and maybe that's then or 5% and then they're the three different 1, 5 and 10, the different scenarios that you have and then you can see what impact that makes on on the revenue or on the business case. Um, but it's definitely not it's definitely not going into all of those details. You don't have the time for it. And to some extent, 
you know, that's what our clients typically tend to focus on is, is the business case. And I think what we want our clients to focus on is, yeah, sure, like there's, there's, there's revenue to be made here. That's cool. But let's focus on users. Let's focus on the solution we're designing for users. Let's focus on the organizational structure that we think you need to set it up in, in a more ambidextrous kind of way because of it needs to be done outside of the existing business because it's much more um, disruptive, whatever. They're actually more important points to have a conversation about rather than is it 1% or is it 5%? Because at those early stages of innovation, we don't know. Um, we should have hypotheses and we should sort of then hopefully say, okay, in the next phase of this project, we want to test this by ABC, but we don't want to dwell on that in the initial phase of the project. We want to demonstrate that we know that which what we're talking about and we've done our homework, um, but it's definitely not necessarily the time to dig into all of those numbers. And I think that's a lot of, you know, it took me a while, I guess, to understand that a lot of that is about the confidence to stand up in front of a client and go, yes, revenue, fully important, but let's talk about all these other things first. And also then, you know, stopping <laughs> clients sometimes and, um, and, and asking this in because of where we are in this innovation funnel to focus on the right things to have a conversation about um, and where we think we would have more robust answers around um, business cases and things like that. I remember you uh, pushing me a lot of times into thinking about the organizational side, which I wasn't so used to before joining IDEO. And I think now, I, looking back, I think it's super important. And I also see IDEO investing heavily into it by hiring organizational designers and so on. So yeah. could you just briefly talk about why did we talk about the organizational um, impact and uh, how we did that. So why is it important and uh, how would you usually present it to the client? What was kind of the content? Yeah. Um, so I, I think um, if I think about like the things that we should be trying to do on a project and we take a project like an entrepreneurial kind of thing, then there's like these four buckets of things that we try and deliver at the end of that project. So one is understanding what's the offer, like what's the value proposition, how do people interact with it, how do I use it, what does it do for people? Um, is the, the the central piece of that. Then the second one is sort of the brand um, and the story around that offer. Um, the third bit to that is then the business model. So how does this thing actually work and how does it make money or what are those other benefits? And the fourth chunk of that is then what sort of organization do I need to set up in order to deliver on that offer and capture that revenue? And so thinking about what that organization needs to be just feels like a natural part of understanding how is this product or idea going to get to market. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it depends on if I'm looking at something that's more incremental in nature, it's probably just going to live within the existing organization and, and might not need a whole lot of new in investment and new people and stuff. And that's all cool. But I guess it depends on where our projects maybe tend to be more radical in nature, then we need to think a little bit more about how we, how would we set them up. So what new capabilities might be required, um, what new organizational sort of structure might be required, what new processes and ways of working. And while we're not um, at that stage of a project, we've got a lot of other things to think about, it's important like to think of like we said throughout most of this interview, is to think a bit more about the business, also just thinking a little bit around the organization that would make sense to deliver this thing. Um, and obviously also from a business perspective, I need to know if, you know, do I need one designer and eight engineers or do I need 10 designers and 80 engineers? Mm -hmm. um, so it has obviously implications for the cost, um, which has implications for the business model. So understanding that organizational um set up a little bit is important for ascertaining one of those bigger cost buckets, which is mm -hmm. people. Um, and so then that for me was sort of my, my point or my observation here at IDEO is that if we want to talk about a, a business model, yeah, then I need to understand the organizational model. Now, I'm not an organizational designer and I, it's not all of the details of that, right? That's why I have other colleagues that we then have conversations with and more or less I'm handing off to them to sort of do that stuff much better around processes and, and ways of working and infrastructure and roles and responsibility descriptions and um, hiring plans and all those sort of things. Like that's stuff that we were doing a lot more of as we work a lot more involved with organizations. But all I'm sort of looking for is kind of like a high level 
what's the structure of this sort of thing? Like, how would we put it together? Um, and what sort of people do we need to deliver on that structure? Um, and then with that, then I can start using some general cost estimates around what does it cost to employ somebody in Switzerland as opposed to employing somebody in Vietnam. Um, and then starting to build a bit more of the, um, the, the business case around that. Cool. That's great stuff. Hey Trent, um, I want to finish up with, um, two, three final questions. Um, Uh pretty short ones, but your answer can be short or not. Let's see. So (laughs) (laughs) depends how bored your listeners are, I guess. (laughs) I'll keep it short. Thanks for hanging around for 50 minutes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, (laughs) The first one is, what is one thing about design that you have changed your mind about? Um, I guess it's, like I said, I didn't really think about design before I started here. So the the main thing, probably that is actually the answer, is like the kind of the evolution of IDEO and the evolution of design and how it keeps having impact on things where it's, seems unlikely. So um, some interesting sort of new examples um, with with IDEO in particular around working with Intercorp in Peru and and designing school systems down there and like really amazing Mm. outcomes and incredibly detailed or or designing new hospital systems there. Like they're just not normally things that you think that design could attack and, and achieve. But I was down there the other week and just listening to the the, the people who are working there, um, it's amazing how much sort of trust they have in, in IDEO and it's amazing what IDEO has been able to do with this rather simple design process um, on the surface mm-hmm. at least and start redesigning school systems and redesigning hospital systems. And so I think what my mind changes about design is the impact that design can have. I think that also makes it more difficult for us to communicate the value mm-hmm. of design when society at large sort of thinks about cars and clothes and stuff. Um, and a lot of our clients do as well, like that's design. And then we start saying, oh, yes, we did this payment terminal and this platform and this school system. And and then it becomes a little bit like, I don't actually understand what you're yeah. doing. So it has a yeah, like there's a definite communication problem for us and maybe we should be more focused as well but I, I'm always just inspired like truly inspired by the breadth of challenges that design can address um, and continues to address and we we get to have wonderful clients that we get to work with with fascinating challenges I mean they're, they're the sort of reasons that I I've keep coming to work here and have been here for the last seven years and will continue to be because they're just interesting projects and interesting problems and design always seems like it can come up with the answers and as we get a bit more involved in understanding how do we help our clients um evolve and you know become more digitally savvy and digitally transform um buzzword (laughs) that's an interesting an interesting sort of place i think for us to be as as designers and that's like I said, that's that's super inspiring, super magical. Yeah, I was also amazed by the whole this breadth of things that design can affect. Like for example, now in yeah. San Francisco with the food studio and with the idea of work for the yeah. nonprofits. And if yeah. you guys are interested, like you can just check out on the ideas website. There is I think uh, one tab called work, plenty of examples there. But clearly it creates this issue of communication, like you said. Um, okay, let's go to the next one. Um, so what advice would you give to a young designer who is just starting out his or her career? Um, yeah, like be a designer, like <laughs> be a, a human-centered designer. I think that's still the, the right way to, to play that game. Um, but I'd like to think when we think about designers starting out in their career that they might be business designers or they might be interaction designers or they might be um, – whatever design is um and thinking about those three bits of the venn diagram um and making sure that you know while they're thinking about users and customer centricity that they're also thinking about the business side of things and they're also thinking about the technology Mm -hmm. side of things and so like i said online there's just tons of good tools and, and tons of people that have done a lot of good thinking about business design um in the past and there's there's good places to go for getting inspired and getting tools together to, to help you play a bit more of that, um, bring a bit more of that business perspective on the client. So that's one thing. And the other thing I would say, business isn't a dirty word. Like it's just a normal 
for me anyways, it's just a very normal part of, of the design process. And so while we should be thinking about users and technological feasibility, we should also just be thinking about the business viability of it, thinking about what are the, what is the benefits case that exists here. Mm. Um, and I think they're the, they're the main, they're, they'd be the two points that I'd be talking about. Lots of places to go for business. Don't be afraid of business. <laughs> Boom. Hey, and, and the last, really the last question is just for listeners who have actually stick for more than 55, 57 minutes now. Where can they get in touch with you if they have any further questions? Uh, they can probably catch me on LinkedIn. Uh, I think that's the easiest place to do it. Trent Huon. Um, there's not many Trent Huons in the world, so it's, um, it's a, it's a, I'm a, you're okay to find Perfect. me there. Thanks, Trent, for your time. That was awesome. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, man. Good luck with it. It's a super interesting project. I hope people did were able to stick with us. Um, I look forward to your next uh, podcast. Okay, that's the end of conversation with Trent. So as this is some kind of a prototype for me, I'd like to ask you, like if you have any comments or suggestions or anything, just drop me an email at alan at beyondusers.com. That's A-L-E-N at beyondusers.com. Also, if you do like the show, please like leave a review on iTunes because this helps rank the show higher on iTunes and it makes it easier for the other ones to find it. And again, if you do want to learn more about business, you can visit the beyondusers.com and take a five-day email course. And uh, in these emails, you can basically learn about five uh, business concepts that are relevant for designers. That's all for the first episode. Thanks for your attention and see you next time.